Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hello, Slate listeners. Do us a favor and help us make a better Slate by answering our survey. It'll only take a few minutes. You can find it at slate.com slash survey. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, March 12th, the Quarantine's A-Comin' edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer at Slate. I'm the author of the book, How to Be a Family, and I'm the dad of Lyra, who's 14, and Harper, who's 12 and 7 twelfths. I live in Arlington, Virginia. Hi, I'm Jamila Lemieux. I'm a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and communications consultant, and a bunch of other stuff. I'm mom to Naima, who's six, and we live in Los Angeles, California. And I'm Carvel Wallace, a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California. And I'm the father to Georgia, who is 14, and Ezra, who, as of last week, is 17. If we had, like, morning zoo-type sound effects, right now there would be sirens going off and bells a-ringing, the sound of a crowd going insane. Carvel is back. Carvel is back. Welcome back, Carvel. (laughs) Thank you. Happy to be here. How's everyone been? You know, we've been good. World's ending. Usual shit. Yeah, the usual. Yeah. Today on the show, coronavirus school closures are coming if they're not already here for you. Several Slate staffers have already seen their kids' schools close. We will talk about what's happening in our neighborhoods and talk about some coping techniques for long stretches stuck at home with your kids. Plus, Carvel is back. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) We posted a request for Carvel catch-up questions to our Slate Parenting Facebook group. We will be asking him to tell us all about his sad mom and dad are fighting free life. Plus, (laughs) triumphs and fails and recommendations. As always, let's start with triumphs and fails. Jamila, do you have a triumph or a fail for us this week? I've got a fail. Mm. Da, 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 da. Okay. So. Sorry. That's more of like a wah, wah. <laughs> no, we celebrate our fails. Yes. And I pulled up this sound effect for Carvel, but I wasn't able to pull it up quickly enough. Actually, I had to re-download the app, which is part of the story <laughs> that I'm about yeah. to tell. But look, this was the excited that Carvel's back home sound. Listen. Yeah, the right. Yeah, I love it. That. That's, that's, yeah, exactly. But, and here's the sound for my fail. <laughs> okay. You just described 80% of my parenting with that sound. That's good. <laughs> so on Thursday, Naima and I were passengers in a Uber that was involved in a minor car accident. I hit my head pretty hard. It was a scary sort of thing that ended up with me spending the evening or the night, I should say, in the hospital because I didn't go home until the wee hours of the morning. Luckily, Naima was physically unharmed. She was shaken up, of course. It's her first car accident. And her dad was able to come get her from the hospital pretty quickly. So Friday evening, she's with her dad as planned. And I'm not feeling quite 100 percent, but feeling okay enough, you know, banged up, but had a CT scan, was told that I didn't have a concussion and, you know, thought that I could just proceed as normal. 
I went to the club. And for those of you all (laughs) who've been listening for at least the last couple of months and recall when Dan and I did a live version of the podcast at the Miami Book Fair, I promised that we were going to have a night at the club with our fans, which, of course, did not happen because I was not able to secure a venue large enough for all of them. Uh, But I do. Always always trouble. Always trouble. And Dan forgot to bring his club clothes to Miami. So (laughs) what can you do? What can you do? But I do on occasion enjoy the nightlife, right? Parties and and bullshit, as they say. Rest in peace, Biggie. So Mm. I was out having a decent time. I went to a a party, had about two drinks, which is important because I am someone who has been drinking since I was Carvel's kid's age. Mm. And I have a pretty decent tolerance for alcohol. And I stopped drinking about an hour and a half before I went home. So at this point, it's four in the morning. I'm waiting with a girlfriend for an Uber. Her Uber comes first. While we're waiting for her car to come, I start feeling out of nowhere, very dizzy and and not great. And and as if I just suddenly became drunk, which was strange because, you know, and I spoke to other people who were there with me that evening. They were like, no, you didn't seem drunk at all. You seemed pretty normal. And she gets in her Uber. I'm by myself outside. You know, there's people around. And as I'm walking to my Uber, I pass out. Wow. Um, And this is the first time that I've like full out, like passed out, blacked out, hit the ground, hit my head, destroy my phone in the process. I've got scratches and bruises and all types of stuff. It ends up with me spending another night, a a much longer night back in the same hospital. The fail is not that I went out or that I blacked out because I believe these are circumstances beyond my control, at least the last part. And mama got to have a life too. But I, when Naima came back to my house on Sunday, I told her what happened. And that was my fail. Mm. Because Uh. one, of course, she was already rattled by the car accident and that she'd seen me. You know, I don't have any recollection of anything other than I heard the crash. I felt pain. I don't remember, like, hitting my head or any of it, right? Just the aftermath. She saw it. So she's like, you move forward, you hit your head in the seat, and then you hit your head on the side of the car. So that was scary enough. I had to come and re-traumatize her by letting her know that perhaps this incident had led to me passing out on the street. Mm. And a very kind stranger who is now a lifelong friend, who was a friend of a friend of a friend, basically, was there luckily to go to the hospital with me. I mean, there's a lot more that's involved in that. Like some strangers loaded me in the back of the Uber, passed out, and I drove around with him for a few blocks, woke up and was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, what happened? And went back to where I started, which is where I found the gentleman who was kind enough to take me to the hospital, stay with me until like two o'clock the next day, take me to the cell phone store and then to the Apple store to get a new phone and all that stuff. So it's a scary incident. And I gave her too many details. I mean, to be fair, I have scratches on my face and things that she would have noticed. And also my daughter and I, you know, she's huggy and and physical and I was Mm -hmm. in a lot of pain. So I also Mm kind of needed to let her know to be gentle with mommy. Mm -hmm. But my baby has anxiety issues Mm -hmm. that are becoming more apparent. And so now I feel really bad because for the last few days, she's, you know, said things along the lines of, mommy, I just keep thinking about what happened to you and I can't get it out of my head. And it's scaring me. It's scaring me. It's scaring me. So... Mm -hmm. We're going to have to pursue some conversations with the professional, which was something that we've been talking about doing anyway. For those who read my contributions to Karen Feeding, I'm always trying to send everyone to therapy because I think we should all be in therapy. And my child is certainly on that list of people who should be talking to somebody about any number of things. But, you know, we've gotten fast tracked into counseling because of this. Mm. 
That is scary as hell. But I also agree with you that you could not tell her why you looked the way you did and what had happened to you. And she'll be all right. I don't think it's really a fail to tell her, even if you worry that you gave her too much information. Like, I think this is a case where erring on the side of as much information as possible, probably in the long run, is okay. The thing I just remember about the kids being little, and this still happens a little bit at this age, but like, it's so hard to know what information is going to turn into in their minds. Like, we think that we know, and so we're like, oh, well, it's just this. And then they end up having a whole thing with it that we didn't predict was going to happen. And so there's always that feeling as a parent that we've like messed up every time our kid has a difficult time with a piece of information. But I agree with Dan, like it's really hard to know precisely what to say. And I mean, whether you can categorize something as a triumph or fail is like whatever, like a philosophical question. But like, I don't think you should be too hard on yourself for the mere fact that you felt like you wanted to be honest with her about the situation and that you maybe didn't accurately predict what that would mean to her because how are you to know? Because kids are surprising and they always change and new information affects them in a way that we didn't predict and then a year later the same information affects them totally differently and we're just kind of along for the ride as parents and that's what's so hard and scary about it. Definitely. And I think one of the things that I I try to be mindful of is that single parents tend to download a lot of information to their kids uh, at a pace that other parents may not simply because they have somebody physically in the household to vent to, to talk to about these things, to say, maybe it's not a good idea if you give, you know, every sort Mm. of detail. And I wouldn't say that gave her every single sort of detail. I mean, she had no concept of you know, what does it mean that you'd had, you know, only two drinks or that they mm-hmm, thought you were mm-hmm. drunk at the hospital and that's why mm-hmm. they weren't very nice to you or, mm-hmm, you know, I didn't get mm-hmm. into all of that. But one, just the whole incident made me feel mm. more alone than I've ever felt as a parent, sort of when Naima was an infant. And even though we've always had this great co-parenting thing, you know, the part that I do, I do by myself. Right. And it's been fine. But like now that we're on the other side of the country from most of our friends and family, my friends and family, you know, my village people who I can turn to in these situations, it really was like, wow, like Naima's really who I've got out here. I don't feel too, too bad about sharing it with her. And I do think that it's good that our kids see us as people that have these full complicated lives, you know, that involve them and at times that don't involve them. But I do want to be mindful that I don't allow the fact that Naima's like, the majority of the people that I'm close to in California <laughs> right yeah. now um, yeah. to burden her. Yes. Yeah. I think that's like so great that you're conscious and aware of that as a person who was raised by a single mom in LA. <laughs> I'm like, I'm feeling a lot for both of you in this scenario and I'm having flashbacks to my own thing. And I don't know that my mother, God bless her, like had that as a primary concern you know, at the time. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you're right. That thing about single parents downloading a lot of information to the kids. And that's not always a bad thing. It's just, you know, it's kids like that learn to navigate the world and grow up in maybe some ways that kids who don't have that don't. And that's not good or bad necessarily. But I, I think just having the consciousness, it's just so it does my heart such good to hear you say that you're thinking about that. Because in some ways, I think just being aware of that is like almost all it takes. Thank you. Carvel, do you have a triumph or a fail for us this week? You know, I'm just going to, like, name everything as a blanket triumph. I mean, I've had many a triumph, many a fail. (laughs) You know what I mean? Your minor accident reminded me that I actually did have a minor accident last week, which was, I don't even want to get into, but it was like a little thing that happened, and it was a whole thing, and whatever. And, like, it just makes me realize how many different things emotionally happen over the course of a day. But I'm just going to give 
a generalized triumph right now that the kids are fine, they're alive, they're doing well, everyone's progressing along in their paths in the way that they are. No one has really changed. Everyone has matured a little bit. (laughs) And like, I think that the kids are great. And I think that that's the triumph is like, I just look at these two people who are now 17 and 14 and a whole bunch has happened since I left the show in terms of just growing up because these are the ages in which a lot of external world things happen for kids and a lot of them have transpired and in every situation the kids have dealt with their circumstances and their world in a way that I find like impressive and and feel proud of to whatever extent I can feel proud of you know their lives and so it's good is everything perfect no is everyone behaving exactly the way I would want them to at all times no not at all but (laughs) overall like I just look at them and I'm so happy with how they're progressing and so I, I call their continued growth and life a triumph for us That's a great general triumph that we will delve into the specifics (laughs) of in our second segment today. I have a fail. Okay. My fail is extremely work-specific. Every Thursday here at Slate.com, I send out the Slate Parenting Newsletter. It goes out like every Thursday at 2 or so. Every Thursday at 1.45, I always go, oh, fuck, I have to write the Slate Parenting (laughs) Newsletter. Yes. What am I writing about? So then I just like, whatever the first thing is that comes into my mind about my kids and parenting, I just write it down as fast as I can. So last week, uh, the newsletter was about Lyra's love of Bernie Mm. and about how she was annoyed at me that I voted for Warren in the Virginia primary and about the ways that her combativeness about Bernie Mm. reminds me just a little bit of like the stereotypical Bernie bro, Mm. Mm -hmm. even though she's a 14-year-old girl Mm. and not a bro at all. Aren't they all? Well, Lyra read the newsletter Uh and did not like it. (laughs) <laughs> she was pissed. Yeah. Not that I had like shared her affiliation yeah. or really anything I said about her. She was pissed because there's no such thing as a Bernie bro. Mm. It is something invented by the mainstream media mm-hmm. to fool you into thinking that the things that Bernie is angry about are not worth being angry about. Mm. She wrote me a 700 word email. Oh, good for her. Uh, in response, accusing me of quote, crafting elaborate newsletters to try to pretend to be one of the good ones. Nice. (laughs) And ouch. And also dope. And also, wow. That's your baby. Extremely harsh. (laughs) There's your paternity test. (laughs) (laughs) If ever you wondered. Yeah. I mean, I definitely earned it, right? Like my daughter's heartfelt political beliefs should probably not be the subject of a newsletter I write in 15 minutes Mm -hmm. and then send to thousands of people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Lesson learned. Yeah. That yeah. is, All right, let's uh, let's talk some business. That's so impressive. Slate's parenting though. newsletter I, I is just... the best place to be notified about all our parenting content. <laughs> He's like, keep I'm it sorry. moving, keep it moving. <laughs> we, have, I we, just... I think we all have thoughts about that. Yes. But go ahead. Yes, we're cheering no, no, for you. No, I just Lyra. wanted the joke of going straight, straight into, into, the, the into the newsletter. I think that's great. I know you're impressed by the quality of the letter and her thought process and that she thought to write it in 700 words as opposed to just rolling her eyes and stomping off or, you know, telling you you don't understand her. I think that's great. It may feel like a fail that you wrote this letter and and violated her feelings in some way, but it is certainly a triumph to raise a child who's capable of responding to you in that way. Yeah, I would say so. I would agree. And also, I relate. The political situation in our house has been tense as it is in every household it is brother against brother except it's really me versus everyone because my son's 17th birthday dinner which was last week i was like okay going into this we're not going to talk about politics can we all agree 
And apparently I was the only one who agreed to that. Everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) And so Ezra and Georgia spent the entire thing trying to like get me to explain why I didn't vote for Bernie in the primary, even though I like whatever. And so then I had to explain what my doubts were about why I preferred Elizabeth Warren to Bernie. Not that Bernie was a bad person, but why I preferred and that. But like. The kids are having such a hard time with the idea that, like, a person may have good reasons for thinking that one candidate is more qualified to be president than another candidate without it being just them really in a weird way just parroting every possible other reason why one dude in one primary could choose not to vote for Bernie in a state that was clearly going to go for Bernie anyway. Things got really tense and like the kids were yelling at me and they were like accusing me of like selling out the future and not caring about anyone and like wanting everyone to, it just was so intense. And I just was like, guys, like, honestly, I had to kind of put them in place in ways that I didn't want to. And I had to be like, look, you know, my mother died from lack of health care. Like I was homeless when I was growing up. Like these issues are not theoretical to me. Mm-hmm. Like this is, you know what I'm saying? And economic justice and health justice, and like in this country, like these aren't ideas for me. These aren't things that I'm excited about. This is like life or death stuff for me. And so I'm not looking at like who's just saying that stuff. I'm looking at who I actually think has the likelihood to like actually make things happen. But anyway, it was like, and then I felt like I was like too intense. They were like, wow, dad, like I didn't realize. And I just was like, this is why I didn't want to talk about this at my son's birthday party. But you know what I mean? So like, it just was kind of intense, but everyone, you know, we recovered as a family, but that strident youth excitement for Bernie is really exciting to me because like the kids are so motivated around politics and I think that's wonderful and obviously if Bernie wins the nomination you know whatever but like Jamila said it's a triumph that these kids are so excited and meaningful and are working so hard to put their vision into practice I think that's really exciting except for a little cynical Naima who uh, (laughs) upon (laughs) being made aware that you know Elizabeth Warren who I'd supported we got to go meet Elizabeth Mm, uh, I saw that I saw that on Twitter I was very excited for that yeah it's a a beautiful bittersweet moment but um you know when I I told Naima how things shook out she said well what did I tell you and she'd written a (laughs) she'd had to do an assignment a couple weeks ago where they asked (laughs) would you want to be president someday and she wrote no I don't think people would be very nice to a black lady president Mm. Well, wow. you, you did tell us that. And she was like, and some second graders came to class the other day and my teacher asked what they thought. And they were girls. They were black girls, too. Everybody in school is black. Name, but OK. Mm. And she mm. asked them what they want to be president. And they said no. Yep. So name was like, sorry for all your hopes and dreams. Yep. <laughs> That's what you get. Science, yeah. science sealed delivered. Yeah. That's it, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Little baby Biden voter in the making. Hopefully. <laughs> I kid, I kid, I kid. <laughs> That's such a terrifying thought. But anyway, go ahead. enough said. No more politics. No more politics. All right. Before we move on, let's do some business. Sign up for Slate's parenting newsletter. It's the best place to be notified of all of Lyra's political beliefs. Also, we'll tell you about parenting content on Slate.com, including mom and dad are fighting, care and feeding, and much, much more. It's a personal email from me every week about what I thought of at 1.45 p.m. Sign up at Slate.com slash parenting email. Check us out on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting. It is a really fun community. We moderate it so it doesn't get out of control. We also use it to find topics for this here podcast right here, which is why people who hang out in the Slate Parenting Facebook group got to ask all the questions that we will be peppering Carvel with later this show. 
And speaking of questions, we want questions. We're only answering one listener question today. We're doing it in the Slate Plus segment. We need more of them. Please email us at slate.com. Make this the week that you pose a child-rearing conundrum, you ask us to solve a parenting problem, or you unwittingly reveal your own complicity in everything that is wrong <laughs> in the universe. We can't do the show without questions from you. Please send them in, mom and dad at slate.com. In Slate Plus today, we're answering a listener question from a parent who's worried that their son and their stepson are going overboard competing for their attention. Here's a quick sneak peek of what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus. It's right. interesting. You know, often think about 14 year olds competing to go run errands with their parents or to have <laughs> yeah. more mommy time or daddy time yeah. than the other 14 year old boys. It makes me wonder. It's unique. It is somewhat unique. To hear segments like that and get ad free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. That's Slate's membership program. It is a great way to support the magazine, the podcast, and everything else that we do. For just 35 bucks for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other lesser Slate shows. And of course, in return, you'll get extended ad-free versions of this show and I guess other lesser Slate shows and a ton of other great benefits. So support Mom and Dad are Fighting. Join Slate Plus today. Just visit slate.com slash mom and dad plus. Okay, on to our first topic. Last week, the first of Slate's parents became victims of coronavirus. Not that they caught the virus, but it's that their New York City school is the first of any Slate employees to close down. All over the country, parents are now holding their breath, not just to avoid breathing in the virus, but because we know any minute now we are going to get that email that is going to transform the next week or weeks or months or the rest of the school year into a shit show. Obviously, this may be totally crucial for public health. We'll all do whatever we can to help stop the spread of this virus, to protect vulnerable people, and to get things back to normal as soon as we can. But still, this is a potential nightmare. So I want to do a quick round robin. Where does everyone stand so far? Is school still on in Oakland, in L.A., and in Arlington? Let's find out. Carvel, you first. School, as of now, is still up and running around here. I don't know that it should be. I'm a little stressed out about it. Georgia <laughs> revealed to me that they don't have hot water at her school and they almost never have soap in the bathrooms and fantastic and i was like that feels to me like such a tiny little metaphor for everything that we're facing which is that all of the little shit that we didn't take care of all of the social safety net stuff that we don't have that we have just been like oh, we'll deal with it later or like whatever we'll just invent an app that solves that now it's <laughs> we're all gonna see how we should have had that stuff in the place and so you know my kids are older so i have even less anxiety about the kids who are home all day they're driving me crazy that feels less of a thing because they're older and there haven't been any closures in oakland there have been a few in san francisco just across the bay oakland does have the advantage of having one of the um cruise ships filled with corona people <laughs> just docked right, in oakland right. which is stressing everyone out you can see it the whole thing just looks so ominous even if it's not really that ominous it just looks hella ominous and so I just think there's just a weird, eerie pall over the whole city. There's no real traffic. Everything is kind of underpopulated right now. So I'm pretty much expecting that school closure is going to happen relatively soon. This is a social safety net thing. One of the reasons why big cities don't want to close down schools, both here and I think in New York City, is because there's a, such a huge population of homeless children yeah. for whom schools are the only place they get food and shelter. That right there is an issue. 
And that right there is one of the reasons why some of these schools maybe should be taking the drastic measure even before it's time, but are afraid to do it. So we're in a funky spot right now is the best I can say. And um, I don't really have an answer. I just feel like I kind of wish we could get around to closing the schools, but we don't really have the social safety net to support that. Yeah. I mean, even plenty of kids who aren't technically homeless, but who still depend on school for their, yeah. maybe their breakfast and their lunch. Yeah. 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 And a safe uh, place Jamila, to be. what's going on in LA? Uh, well, the governor has pursued permission to close the schools if needed. So I think we're bracing for the possibility that that can happen or will happen, if not in LA, somewhere in California. I'm anxious about it. I, I share the sentiment that this is something that could possibly save lives, but also would make certain children and employees vulnerable, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. depending on the school district. We don't know who's going to be paid for time in which they're not able to physically show up to class. And there are so many children that rely on school for food and a safe place to be. It creates a lot of anxiety in me as on one hand, uh, As someone who works from home and essentially the only time that I have to be out of my home working or that I have to be in a particular place is when I come record this podcast or when I have a speaking engagement. And so I have two booked in New York for next week. They were booked very far uh, apart. And so even though they're just a few days apart, I'm going to have to leave and come right Mm -hmm. back, Um, which gives me some anxiety about the possibility of traveling um, by air to New York of all places, not once, but twice in a short amount of time. And that my financial picture is in some ways tied to my ability to get on a plane and go to other places, right? Yeah. So that's going to require me to do some additional pitching and thinking about some things that I could be doing here to make freelance money that I, I haven't necessarily been doing because I've been great with you know, writing the column and doing the podcast and working on, you know, unpaid writing work and going out on the road and getting a check and being able to sustain my life that way. Having a child in the house while working from home is not the easiest thing. Naima's not 14 or 17, so she can't be entirely left to her own devices, but she is old enough where she can get some tablet time, some Barbie time, some independent play time, but it it certainly would change uh, how I operate. And of her three parents, I am the one who is best equipped to stay home and take on the lion's share of the child watching if school were to be closed. So it is scary. It is scary. What about you, Dan? Are you, your offices will be closed. Yep. Slate's offices are closed basically starting tomorrow and Thursday. All Slate employees are being told to work from home. When I record this podcast next week, it'll be at home. We record in the afternoon, so it's after school lets out anyway, so my kids will be around somewhere while I'm talking through all this stuff. I'll have to watch my tongue, except for that they will (laughs) be on their phones with headphones on and won't be listening at all. But uh, school is still on for now, although just 10 minutes before we started this recording, Fairfax County Public Schools, which is the next county over, it's one of the biggest public school systems in the country, announced that Monday is a teacher work day, Mm. and it's the day that everyone's working out their remote learning situation because they anticipate that they will have to close schools quite soon. I think that Arlington County schools are going to send out a very similar notice very soon. We have had cases in Arlington and cases in other D.C. suburbs and in D.C. proper. So I think it's just a matter of time. I think the clock is ticking and quite soon we our kids will be home as well. Now, 
like Carmel's kids, my kids are older. So the question of like, can I get work done while they're around is much less dire than it would have been, you know, 10 years ago if something like this happened. Or even, you know, five years ago when the big snowstorms that hit Washington so like upset our life and overturned our schedules that, you know, basically we panicked and spent a year traveling around the world in response. (laughs) So I don't think it's going to be that bad this time around, though who knows how long it's going to last, but we're definitely anxious. And every parent I know is, is anxious about this in some respect that you know that this is probably the best thing for public health and for your kids' health. You know that there are other kids or maybe your own kids who need school for health reasons, for social reasons, for educational reasons, because they don't have anywhere else to get something to eat. You know that that's a huge problem for any number of kids around the country. And you know, selfishly, that like, it just makes your life easier if your kids go to school every day. And each day that they don't go to school creates this like new set of problems and responsibilities and impediments to getting the shit you need to get done, done. And that just like adds a layer of stress to everything. How are your kids feeling about things? Well, how do your kids talk about this virus and talk about the possibility of school being closed? Mine talk about it with glee, with nothing but glee. They're counting down the days until the day <laughs> that Arlington cancels school and they know it's going to happen. They fucking know. They're like, this is our payoff for the fact that we got no snow days this year because of stupid climate change. Now we're getting this. But what about you guys? I haven't told little anxiety attack much about coronavirus. So she did observe a parent. There's a child of a very famous person who I shall never name who attends her school. This is the first time she got to lay eyes on them and they had on a mask. And so, you know, she said they had on this mask and I could tell from how she was describing it that she wasn't entirely sure what that meant. And so I said, oh, they're concerned about getting the flu. And I left it there. And I'm not going to pile anything else onto this child right now. I have just simply been emphasizing the importance of washing her hands and coughing into her elbow and that it's more important this time of year than ever, but that it's always important. And that's it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. My kids... They're so fascinating because they have grown up with information overload for as long as they can remember. Our attempts to protect them from the stuff that we tried to protect them from, now that they're teenagers, really only lasted for an increasingly small portion of their lives that we were able to keep out the stuff. Pretty soon, once they got the iPod touches and this and that, and being able to go on YouTube at school, it's just, you know, the flood began and it has not stopped. And they've developed a certain strategic remove from everything. I think even Georgia, who was sort of like anxiety prone growing up and very like organized and always concerned, is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? What about this? A lot of future tripping with her. I was talking to her about it this yesterday morning or this morning. I forgot when. And she was like, honestly, Dad, I, I mean, like, who gives a shit? Like, <laughs> it was kind of like it was a little nihilistic. <laughs> and I was a little bit, I was like, yes, I, I mean, like, yes, that's a protective stance. But also, that's probably good. You could probably use a little bit of that, you know, because I think she just has this feeling that all this stuff is going on. No one really knows what's going to happen. There's not really a whole lot of like prediction or management of like the world outside of. And so I think she just kind of keeps it very focused and she doesn't seem to have a lot of anxiety or fear 
at this point. I mean, our whole general thing as a family is like protect the babies and old people. Like, you know, that's our thing. It's like, you know, everyone's kind of come to terms with like the virus is probably not going to kill any of us because we're all in relatively good health. But like, let's be super careful not to contract and, and hand it on to other people because we live in vulnerable population. I don't think either of the kids have really thought about what this might look like in terms of the economy and like just kind of like the infrastructure of this country. I think that might be something that would maybe make them, I don't even know. I don't know what they'll do. I think that they're both dealing with it as well as can be expected is what I see. And I think in general, what we feel as a family is that there's not a whole lot of like catastrophizing in terms of like, oh my God, here's the worst case scenario. Like let's prepare for like this horrible, like apocalyptic zombie land. But I think there's a lot of realism about the fact that things may change tremendously for us and everyone we know and may, or maybe they won't, who knows. And really all we have is each other and let's just like sort of prepare ourselves and like be safe and be connected and we'll see what happens. I'm hearing a lot from news reports or various authorities about how, well, good thing that it's, you know, the year 2020, uh, everyone's wired, everyone's connected, our kids are just going to be able to get on their iPads or get on a computer and just do distance learning and their teachers will teach from their homes and our kids will be in their homes and heck, maybe we won't even need to reopen the schools. We're all (laughs) just going to work it out. And leaving aside the obvious issues with the fact that in plenty of schools around the country, an enormous percentage of the kids do not have access to a laptop or an iPad or even the internet. And so this question is totally moot. Do you guys see within your schools any belief that distance learning could work? Do you think teachers could pull that off? Do you think your kids could pull that off? They use iPads. Naeem is in first grade. I have not been connected. We actually have parent-teacher conferences tomorrow, so we'll get a chance to ask some of these questions. But we're not connected to what they're doing with technology, right, in the way that some kids, typically older kids, but in some school districts uh, or individual schools with smaller kids where the homework is assigned to be completed on the iPad or on a computer so that we're part of their experiences with technology at school at home, which would make it certainly a bit easier for those who had access to continue on with that stuff at home. So I would imagine that we would be dealing with a lot of worksheets, much in the way that packets come home for holiday breaks. I think this would be a lot of worksheet learning. And I feel capable and competent of helping her with everything except for math. There is a new math as you all are aware. And it was in kindergarten that I was first confronted with an assignment that I could not help my child with. (laughs) And I felt like the stupidest person on the face Mm. of the earth. And it was just simply a completely different approach to learning math than I had been exposed to. And as somebody who struggled with math, period, especially as an older kid, not necessarily at her age, but as someone who's just not a good math person, I was fucked up. I was like, what? You know, like, and when she told me she couldn't do it, and I almost assumed that she was just being lazy because she doesn't like doing homework. And, you know, and I saw it, and I was like, oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yes, <laughs> I think we can get through this with an asterisk. But ultimately, I do think this will be uh, detrimental to Naeem and her little classmates if it goes yeah. on for too long. Yeah, I have a lot of questions about the current state of school. Anyway, I say this with a lot of caveats. I don't know that distance learning 
is even the major question right now. Sure, some of it can happen. I think it'll further stratify access the way our whole country and system seems to already be set up to do by people who have access to certain privileges and people who don't. And then just yet another way in which access to those privileges guarantees you sort of more stuff than it wouldn't otherwise. And that's what I grew up with. And that's what I just see being an increasing factor in the way this country runs. And so if the schools, which are kind of like a socialist democratic institution, fold, then it seems unlikely that the thing that would rise to replace them would be anywhere close to as egalitarian as schools are, which themselves aren't super duper egalitarian, but are somewhat so. That gives me pause. That makes me unhappy. I also don't super duper know that like all the stuff that goes on in schools is like so important to anything other than just the remaining system of privileging people who experience that stuff in school. I'm not like advocating for some wild like no schools thing, but I'm just saying that I think with so much stuff going on, if these kids don't have half a year of school because we're collectively dealing with like a change in the way things operate. That doesn't strike me as like the biggest loss here. That would be incredible. Could you imagine that like the legends that would be created in the half year of no school everywhere in America, (laughs) the songs that will be sung forever of those glorious four months. Oh my God. God, that would be like the signal event in every kid's life. That would be the event. That would be it. I am unconvinced about distance learning, as longtime listeners know. I already fucking hate my kids' school iPads and Canvas and Google Classroom and Blackboard and (laughs) everything, Mm -hmm. everything that they use. It never works. It drives me insane. So if they try to, like, zoom into classrooms or something, (laughs) it is going to be an absolute shit show, and I'm going to hate it. So maybe maybe my kids will just be (laughs) at the four months with no school. While every other sucker tries to Skype into their whatever. I just think it'll be a disaster. But maybe it'll all be great. Maybe they won't cancel school. They'll definitely cancel school. I wish all of our listeners luck over the next few weeks in making your home as peaceful as it can be and making your kids as comfortable as they can be and making your lives as calm and happy as they can be in this extremely crazy tumultuous time in our history um everyone stay healthy everyone as carvel says look after the babies and the old people do everything you can not to spread it around email us and let us know how's it going in your house how's it going in your neighborhood or post on the facebook page search for slate parenting on facebook all right let's move on to our second segment one of the things that we often hear from you our loyal listeners is asking for updates about former hosts of course poor allison benedict has passed. R.I.P. Allison Benedict. Same with Gabe Roth. He's dead. Actually, every former co-host is absolutely dead, (laughs) except for Carvel Wallace. We are lucky enough to have Carvel with us today. We thought you were gone, but you have come back. So we're going to do a Carvel catch-up. We posted a call for questions on the Slate Parenting Facebook group, and people went crazy with questions for you, Carvel. So Jamila and I are going to ask you some, and uh, you answer to the best of your ability, please. People really, really want to know. Question number one. Carvel, have you had to explain the shocker to any other unlucky teenagers? <laughs> you know, I read that right before we started, and I could not remember exactly. <laughs> what, I knew that was a reference to something that happened on the show, but I forgot. No, I have not had to explain the shocker to any unlucky teenagers. I will tell you that probably my kids... Well, I think the shocker is a little bit, like, dated at this point. I don't know that kids yeah. are still... But uh, at this point, 
I will just suffice it to say that if anyone would be explaining anything to anyone, it would be my kids explaining stuff to me. Okay, but wait, what is the shocker? Okay, so... Oh, man. I mean, are we... I suggest that maybe you just Google it. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to do that right now, so... Okay, Okay. so the short answer is no, I haven't had to explain it. We've... You have reached the age where it's a lot more likely that your kids are going to explain stuff to you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nearing the case for me. (laughs) Certainly in terms of Bernie, that is the case for household. (laughs) You got it, Jamila? No. <laughs> I don't. And... Oh, my God. <laughs> what is wrong with you people? <laughs> Why? Oh, man. Why? Wow. You really did succeed in turning this into Why? a shock jock morning drive time show. Then, I know. By opening what? up with this question. <laughs> <laughs> You talked about this on the show? I don't even remember how it came up. Like, I literally have no idea how it came up. I forgot. You'd have to, like, What did you all do before I got here? Because every so often, like, I get, like, a really, like, disparaging comment about the fact that I mentioned that I smoke weed. It's like, oh, potheads waiting. And I'm like, do you know where this show came from? Mm -hmm. Oh, man. Do you know where this show has been? Oh, my God. Okay, Uh, Carvel, there are some parents who have inquired as to why you never talked about being queer on the show. It's funny because I the way that question was worded, which I read right before it went in the air, said something like, how come you didn't say it? I remember that some people wrote in with questions where your experience would have been helpful. But the thing is, I actually totally answered those questions and did offer my experience and direction from my own experiences coming up the way I did and having the experiences I did. And so I I don't think I made it ever made a decision to not talk. I mean, I always thought I was talking about it. I just never thought of it that I had to like self-identify on the show. It didn't feel like a thing to do or not to do. I kind of thought that the where I was coming from and the way I talked about th- everything sort of was like it's all folded together. It didn't occur to me until after the show or until after I was on the show that maybe people felt like I should have said something different. I don't know. One of my bigger issues, like when I've talked about it online, which I did multiple times while I was on the show, I just never talked about it on the show, but I talked about it like on my various accounts or whatever. And one of the things I thought was interesting about that is like the assumption of straightness as a default thing that I always found weird and kind of not shocking, but always was interested in that like everyone is straight unless it's unless they state otherwise. And maybe that's right, even... Unless you put it in your introduction. Yeah, maybe that's the even show. the case more for men and maybe that's even more the case for men of color. Maybe that's even more and more and more the case for black men. And so, you know, I remember like a couple of years ago or like last year I was going to a speaking event and I need to buy a new shirt so I'm at the Macy's or whatever and I'm having this conversation about like shirts with the shirt guy and he's measuring and we're getting this fitted shirt and everything and then he goes he said something like um, or you can get this one with this collar but then he was like but I don't think you need to wear that like that's not something a straight guy would wear and I just was like where is that even coming from like why is this guy like I don't know it's just like such a weird thing to be like not only do I have to make this assumption I have to verbalize and establish our shared straightness in this world gone queer kind of vibe and I find that whole thing kind of iffy and so maybe on some subconscious level it's a little bit of a trolling move to just let people assume and then to be like bam but I don't even know that I do all that I just think that the way I think of the world and the way I talk about relationships, love, sexuality, sensuality, 
gender roles, what we're doing as a society, what we need to get better at. To me, that all comes from my experiences of queerness. And I, I don't know that I ever felt like it was necessary to be like, and as a queer person, here's why I'm saying this, that it lends more meaning and gravitas to what I'm saying. But maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know that you're wrong. I also get frustrated with baseline assumptions of straightness and the way that they inflect how people respond to a lot of different things. I mean, that is a crazy story about Macy's. I cannot believe some dude did that in the year of our Lord 2020. He really did. But, um, 2019, to be fair. It was a different time. Okay, well, it were, good thing we live in a different <laughs> era now. But a thing that people talk about a lot with regards to the show is, you know, a thing that we, in the very beginning of the show, did not do a particularly good job with or even think about that much, was present much of a diversity of experience or opinion, right? It was me and Allison we're basically the exact same person and we have all the same opinions. We had kids basically the same age. We both lived in East coast suburbs. We were both white magazine editors. So like there was not a lot happening there in terms of presenting other ways of family life, other experiences from which you might develop some kind of experience. And the show has changed a lot in the years since then. Is that why you killed but, her? Uh, there could only be one. That's why she's dead now. Is that why she's dead? Yeah. 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 And also rest in peace, Gabe. Um, but a thing that listeners ask about a lot is, can you have, we would like there to be a, a more regular queer co-host, that a queer parent should be on the show more often. And I do think that this particular question came about as a result of sort of the host rondelay that's been going on over the last six months or so mm. since Rebecca left. Rebecca, rest in peace. We miss you. Pour one out for Rebecca. <laughs> I want to just clarify but, um, that none of these people are actually dead for any listeners who are like, my God, everyone's dead. <laughs> None of these people are dead, guys. I just wanted to clarify that for that one person who's just freaking out right now. I, had, I Googled Allison's death like, <laughs> the first time Dan said this. Like, mm, I feel Allison bad. I was trying funeral. to say something. I didn't. They're just dead to me. But I do think there's real value in having hosts who represent a lot of different perspectives. And I would just tell listeners, you don't always know exactly what perspectives your hosts are coming from and you can't always assume what perspectives your hosts on a podcast are coming from. And so the show I think is doing its best to offer a lot of different voices and a lot of different ways of being a parent and bear that in mind. I think when you're listening, because the assumptions you make might not always be correct. It's also true. And this is again, like a level of like just the kind of sensitivity I have around the issue is that like, it's also true that a lot of times there's a desire I don't even know where it exists, but sometimes you sort of like lay out all of your marginalized identity markers and they're collected like trading cards, points for like whoever has a platform. They're like, here's our dark person. Here's our queer person. Here's our, you know, and like I didn't necessarily want to play into that. Also, I felt like my experiences are coming from a person who grew up having to like wrestle with my sexuality and sexual identity in a world that was like super duper straight, like more than a little bit homophobic and queerphobic and all biphobic and all that stuff. And so that's where my perspective comes from and everything like that. But I also felt like and still feel this way that if I was to be like, hi, I'm Carvel and I'm in Oakland, and I'm like your queer parenting. Then now I become responsible for all LGBTQI issues everywhere in every possible way. And my experience growing up was personally one way, but culturally, communally, I didn't grow up in those spaces. And so mm -hmm. I don't feel qualified to like be on this podcast representing that world for people. I think there are other people who are way more qualified to do that. And I think, you know, and so that's another reason why I didn't necessarily want to just like 
plant my flag in the sand and be like, now I'm the like reigning expert in that. I felt it was really important for me to talk about relationships in a way that is influenced by those experiences that I've had and the pain that I've gone through and the fear that I've had and the things that have hurt and like how I've had to adapt to a world in which there's this kind of systemic oppression and erasure. I didn't feel comfortable sort of like standing up as like a spokesperson for this community because that's inevitably what happens when you come on a kind of straight-oriented podcaster platform and then announce that you're the rainbow flag person. Right. All right, I have another question from our listeners. I'd love to hear about the making of the Finding Fred podcast and if it changed how you parent. For those listeners who don't know, Carvel is the host of a fantastic podcast about Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, called Finding Fred. I really, really loved it. And I, too, echo this question. Tell us about that experience and tell us if it had any effect on your parenting style. Yeah, it had a tremendous effect on my parenting style. I mean, it's over now because it was a limited series. We did 10 episodes and I don't think we're going to return for a second season and you know there's talks about what we might do next as a team if anything but that said no i mean part of the reason i took that job is because i was like i don't think anything bad could come from spending several months immersed in the world and thinking of fred rogers and particularly not just in that but in having these living conversations with people about what these philosophical ideas mean to us today. What does I like you the way you are mean within the context of systemic oppression? Like, well, how do these things work together? How do we navigate these worlds? To me, I felt like no bad would ever come from for me as a person from spending time with those ideas and with those brilliant people that we had on the show. We had Eve Ewing. We had Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams on the show. We had Kamau Bell. We had Ashley C. Ford was great on two episodes. I mean, we, you know, we really like delved into the living moments of these things. And that changed me a lot. I learned something powerful from every person that I talked to. But I would say that the short answer and the kind of obvious answer is it is true that spending so much time with a person whose priority was the care and listening to of children, that that was not just something you did while you were doing other stuff, but that Mm. that was actually the primary purpose and all other activities were designed to facilitate and allow for that to happen. That has been for me a kind of nice perspective shift. And I think in some ways before I did that show, I was thinking of like being nice to my kids as like a thing of expedience. I'd like to be nice to my kids and be good to them because I love them and don't want bad things for them. But I also think that I also was doing a lot of just thinking about how I'm going to do my world and how do I like make it so that the kids are like not in the way kind of thing. And I think just that spending that time changed it. But even more than that, it was just the amount of space and time. He took so much space and time and he, he was such an advocate of listening and quiet as ways to really hear what's underneath what children are saying and doing. And that is a very difficult concept in a capitalist environment, in a place where we're like, we love our kids, but they're in the way of us doing stuff. Right. I need to get stuff done. And the kids are there. And I and it's I love them, but I need to get stuff done. This obsession with getting stuff done, whatever, for the larger sense. But I'll say that one of the impacts it probably has on parenting is it makes us not as great of listeners as our kids might benefit from us being. And so just being able to like spend more time with that idea via Fred Rogers, I think, has been super helpful for me. The movie that came out last year, not the doc, but the narrative movie um, directed by Mariel Heller 
presented really, really well was the way he listened and how slow he took every conversation to an extent that would be like bewildering sometimes yes. to normies. Yes. And I think that's a great lesson to take. Yeah, totally. And like, I'm not going to be for like, I'm just going to imitate this dude and just start acting and talking like him. Cause like, that's not who I am under any circumstances. But like, I also really liked the idea of like, well, what would Fred Rogers look like if he had my life? What would Fred Rogers look like if he was you? You know, I remember having this conversation with Eve Ewing who was like that. What is the Fred Rogers in my neighborhood in Chicago look like? It's not going to be this white guy in a cardigan. It's going to be, you know, what does the Fred Rogers in the hood look like? I, you know, I like recently volunteered to do a thing at San Quentin, and I was thinking about that going in. Like, what does the Fred Rogers look like who's in San Quentin right now? What is the spirit of that energy, and how does that manifest in all the different ways that life forms us? How does that energy remain in all of us? And to me, that's just been like a nice thing to think about and view the world through that lens. Can I please tell you all a very brief Mr. Rogers story that I have not thought about in (laughs) so many years until listening to you talk about the podcast. So when I was of Mr. Rogers viewing age, so I must have been, let's just say, I'm going to hope that I was two, three, maybe no older than four when this happened. My mother must have been in the kitchen. We didn't have a terribly big apartment. You know, I was out of her line of sight briefly. So I'm watching Mr. Rogers (laughs) on PBS, as I often did. And they were getting ready to go to, is it Trolley Land? Mm-hmm. The land of make-believe. The land yeah, of the make-believe, yeah. which was my absolute favorite part. I, I just loved Mr. Rogers so much. Um, yeah. and, and I certainly loved the land of make-believe and Daniel Tiger, which, mm-hmm. of course, comes back to bite all millennial and Gen X parents <laughs> at some point when they get to deal with just Daniel Tiger without Mr. Rogers. <laughs> that's all you get. Um, that's all you get. And so... I'm torn because I had to, oh my God, I don't even talk about bathroom stuff at all. Like yes, it was a dog. I had this is going and to I love it. <laughs> poop really badly. And so I'm torn because it's like, okay, I either go to the bathroom and there's no DVR. Okay. Right. There's no knowing when I'm going to get to see this specific episode ever again. So I go to the bathroom and, and possibly miss the land of make-believe or I improvise. So I pooped on the floor in the living room, <laughs> enjoyed this segment yeah, of Mr. Rogers and yes. cleaned it up unbeknownst nice. to my mother, perhaps nice. to this day. Priorities. Priorities, I, man. I like that. Ringing that's a mind. total kid triumph. <laughs> that was a Incredible. kid triumph. I think oh, I may wow. have repressed this entire memory oh, for I'm the so past 30 to... years. <laughs> yes, the power of Fred Rogers. <laughs> the power of Fred Rogers. <laughs> that again, who does not even like talking? Like, I to this day hate talking about stuff like that. And I was the same way back then. So the idea that I was willing to do something as gross as shit on the floor yeah. is a testament to how powerful Mr. Rogers was. I love it. Jamila, I got a question for Carvel. I do. I want to know. I certainly know that, and I've kept up with you via social media um, to some extent, but I think everyone would like to know who followed your adventures more closely in the past, what you've been up to and what you're working on and how they can find you and and continue to stay connected to your work and your life. Yeah, that's a good question. Probably Instagram is the best way right now. Twitter is a lot for me. I actually logged out of Twitter recently. Like, I didn't delete my account, but I like made it so that if I ever want to tweet or retweet, I have to log in. And every time I'm confronted with that login screen, I get a second of pause. So smart. <laughs> and I usually decide not to go on. But I'm pretty active still on Instagram. I am working on one larger book, which is a memoir about 
uh, childhood trauma is the idea. I'm going to be writing a little bit about people that I grew up with and their influence on my life, but I'm going to be writing sort of magazine-style profiles of their own lives, writing about them the way I write about celebrities like aunts and people that I went to elementary school with and whatever, as a way of exploring all the ways that everyone is sort of like recovering from whatever they're recovering from. So that is my big project for this year. I am possibly doing a few other sports slash celebrity slash memoir type things. Everything's in different stages of development. Things may or may not happen. I've got a couple of magazine articles. There's a few other podcast things that are still slowly in development. Are we going to do this? Can you submit a one-pager for that? Let's fly into town and talk about whether or not we're going to do this. So all those things are in various stages. None of them are guaranteed. And what is Um, your Instagram, Carvel? It is my name, underscore, Carvel, underscore, Wallace, because my actual name without the underscore was taken by my uncle, (laughs) who never (laughs) did. God damn it. I'm still mad at him about it. (laughs) Final question from the listeners, Carvel. Do you miss us as much as we miss you? Oh, my God. Please say yes. Say yes. Say yes. (laughs) Do you want the truth or do you want the radio-friendly answer? No, it's good. Yes, of course, I do. I really miss it. And, like, reading these questions on the way in really, really made me miss you guys. I was telling someone else that the thing I miss most isn't reading listener questions. Ironically, it's getting listener advice on my own triumphs and fails. That's my favorite part. When I say, here's what I triumph with, or here's the thing I forgot to do, or here's what I'm worried about with my son. And then getting these emails from people who are like, yes, this is what I was like when I was in school, or here's what I learned. Those emails, I love those. Now that came with a lot of other emails that I didn't love. And that's just kind of like the price you pay for being on a public platform. But I realized over time that that was the thing I missed the most was getting all this listener feedback on like my own parenting. So yes, I miss you guys. I love that. Well, I certainly hope that among the things you'll be doing this year, will be joining us again from time to time. We miss you and love having you. I think I will. I think I'll be doing that. Great. Let's uh, do some recommendations. Uh, Carvel, what do you want to recommend for our listeners this week? I want to recommend family time, <laughs> which seems a little bit, but it seems like we're well on our like way. We're well on our way. And I've been thinking a lot about how of all the things that there are in the world and in the universe, the only thing that we really have is each other. That's all we really have. We don't have anything else. We see other things. We feel other things. We want to have an impact on other things. But the only thing we really have is each other. And regardless of what goes on over the next year, six months, two years, whatever, it's really going to come down to each other. And so I just want to recommend for myself and for all the people who I love that we think about the primacy of our relationships with one another and the care and love of those relationships and the getting out of the way of what stands in the way and the returning of phone calls and the writing of letters and just the connections. I want to prioritize connection at this time. That is beautiful. That makes my recommendation sound extremely shallow. That is my job. My recommendation (laughs) is wallpaper (laughs) (laughs) yes i'm also with that but go ahead (laughs) Um, we just decided recently that it would be fun if our first floor bathroom the kids bathroom was wallpapered and it was painted this like ugly yellow Mm -hmm. and we thought it'd be more fun it was wallpaper and alia who's just like a genius with home stuff decided she was just going to do it herself oh and you don't have to like get wallpaper paste and all that shit you can get wallpaper that is basically 
is like a sticker. It's like one of those like big fat head stickers of Emmett Smith or whatever that you stick up on your wall. But it's like a beautiful pattern of wallpaper designed by someone who's got an Etsy shop or whatever. And she just ordered a shitload of it. And she spent three days just measuring and cutting and trimming and getting my help like lifting shit off the wall. And at the end of it, it looked amazing. Mm. And she loved doing it. And it was so easy and so cheap. And so like if you – are like, oh, this bathroom is boring. What can I do to make it less boring? Buy some crazy ass sticker wallpaper on the internet and put it up. It'll look awesome. It's so funny because I have a tab for wallpaper open on my computer. I was looking at it on Amazon. I bought some wallpaper for the first time ever to cover up a bookshelf. It is incredibly cool. And the next time I move, I would love to do a wall or room that is covered in paper. It just didn't seem like such a great idea when I was younger. But now I'm like, wow, you can like have designs and prints and I could have like a cheetah print room or something. Yes. My recommendation perhaps flies in the face of what Dan suggested (laughs) or the, the fail that he shared with us this week. But I am going to recommend, despite the heartbreak that I have experienced over the Warren campaign and just the state Mm. of the presidential election, getting your children involved in your politics, of course, uh, unless you're a Trump voter, which means you should totally (laughs) not do that. You should follow the opposite of this advice. You should allow your children to be their own people. How dare you impress uh, your values upon them, their individuals. But if you are not a Trump voter, um, I I think it's cool to allow your kids to see inside of this thing. Um, Most schools do a really inadequate job of teaching kids about voting and the political process and the responsibility that they have to participate in it um, and and, and why some folks decide not to, right? I'm glad that my kid has gotten a chance to be in campaign offices and, you know, got to see me do some of the surrogacy work this time around. And that one day when she is able to vote, hopefully she will be as passionate as Lyra is about her candidate of choice and will be capable of firing off a 700 word missive to me probably sooner (laughs) than later about why my candidate uh, for any given election isn't the correct candidate. I'm glad that she got to see this even with the disappointment. And I encourage others to not wait until it seems like they should be old enough. This shouldn't be a mystery. It's a mystery for far too many full grown adults, which is why we are a nation of non-voters with like 30 percent of people participating in national elections and 10 percent participating in local ones. Um, And it should not does not have to be that way. Yep. Great recommendation. Sometimes, you know, comes back to haunt you, though. All right. (laughs) That is our show. Thank you, Carvel. Thank you, Jamila. If you have a question, email us at slate.com. Once again, join us on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting at Facebook.com. Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson. For Jamila Lemieux and Carvel Wallace, I'm Dan Coyce. Thanks for listening.